And welcome to Fundamentals, the podcast that explores pop culture one conversation at a time. I am your host, Harley. Joining me for this exciting bonus episode of the podcast is a returning guest to the show and one half of Ramblin' and Amblin' podcast, Joshua Glenn. Josh came onto the podcast almost two years ago to talk about the original Matrix trilogy. And in that conversation, we got into so much to do with the sequels, the legacy and impact of the movies as a whole, and a whole bunch more, which is well worth listening to if you haven't already heard it. And of course, during that recording, we'd heard about the forthcoming legacy sequel, The Matrix Resurrections, and we had no idea what we were in for at the time. And of course, that movie has now come and gone, and we sit down to talk about it. We explore what this legacy sequel has done for the franchise as a whole, how perhaps history has repeated itself somewhat with this movie. And in fact, we even go off into the weeds a little bit and talk about legacy sequels in general. There's all of that and so much more to enjoy in this episode. And as always, Josh is an absolute delight to have on the podcast. So without further ado, let's just get straight to it. This is The Matrix Resurrections with Joshua Glenn. Hello, Josh, and welcome back to the Fundamentals podcast. Thank you so much for having me, mate. It's always a pleasure to be here, especially to talk about a film that uh, is just wonderful. I know. This is a really interesting one, I think, because this is a follow-on topic. Um, I think this is the first one I've done, actually. <laughs> uh, and it made sense because we had such an amazing time talking about The Matrix. Oh, my goodness, that just dawned on me. It was nearly two years ago. Oh, I was trying to work out when that, when that <laughs> would have been. Yeah, was that, was that bad? Because that was back when Andy it and I was. first started rambling. That was that was yeah. in late 2020. Holy cow. Yeah, and I think at the time we heard rumours of this particular film and the follow-up think, and all of this. Yeah, prepping for this, I, I, I locked down some of the dates, and I think it was around the time filming had just wrapped. Yeah. And, of course, yeah. it's been out. The Matrix Resurrections sorry, has since come out, <laughs> and we're here. And it's been, what, six months now? Six, seven months since it came out in the cinemas? Yeah, end of December last year it came out. So we're in a a, a, Mm. a staunchly post-Resurrections world right now. Yeah, and I feel like there was a lot of interesting discussion about it at the time. So I guess to kick us off then, Josh, yeah, what were your impressions of the film coming out of the cinema? Certainly no uh, surprise to anyone who heard the the previous podcast that I I, (laughs) I loved it. And uh, one of my main... Takeaways, I guess, was uh, I think we worked through this on on the past episode. Um, with uh-huh. Reloaded and Revolutions, they're so um, difficult to pass because they don't make it immediately apparent what it is that they're doing, and it's only through repeat viewings that you you sort of get what you need to get mm. out of them. And uh, I've seen them upwards of ten times each, and I'm, I'm madly in love with them both. But it took a while to get there. So I have yeah. to say the fact that uh, Resurrections played so well to me on first viewing, I've seen it once since then. Um, 
first two viewings of many, many more in the future. Uh, <laughs> the fact that it plays so well straight away, I think, is, a yeah. very, is it bodes very, very well. But um, beyond everything else, the, the sort of the thematic takeaways and the ethos of the film and the way it deals with legacy sequels that we're going to hopefully get our knives and forks into later on, I, it, it was just uh, that kind of entertainment that only the Wachowskis seem to really go for, very earnest, big-hearted, colourful, kinetic. And uh, regardless of the mixed reception that it's got, I, did, I just found it incredibly entertaining on its own terms as a admittedly very, very long piece of <laughs> popcorn filmmaking. <laughs> yeah. um, I was very fortunate to see it in the BFI IMAX on Southbank on, uh, I think it was nice. the 23rd. I think it was the day, the day before I left to go home for Christmas. Um, mm. Yeah, I saw it in the BFI IMAX. And it was a packed cinema, maybe, maybe a tad irresponsible given the... COVID concerns during that time, but it was uh, something I, I really didn't want to miss in the big screen because we didn't know how long we would have the chance to see it on the big screen at the time. Yeah, um, but it was yeah, it was a great one, and, and and in my cinema it played very well with the audience too. It was a very very fun one to watch with the crowd. They seemed quite receptive to it. So mm. yeah, just a just a bloody good time. A very very magical very magical three hours for me that experience. Good, yeah. I'm glad to hear you say that because yeah, it's one of those I feel. It goes so well, uh, I think, in terms of conversation with the sequels, which mm. yeah, I spent a lot of time talking about. And it's funny, it's almost like 20 years on, and it does feel like history sort of repeats itself a little bit here, where this film got a lot of mixed reception. And I feel like a lot of it does come back to the same things that people have said about the sequels. And I feel like it's very much a case of if you understand and you're and you're on board with what the sequels are doing then i think you'll love this one yeah and everything it does and the way it expands and and sort of explores all of the myths and and legends and storytelling aspects mm. of that which we'll, yeah we'll get into and if you weren't then you might struggle with this one as well which a part of me thinks that's kind of a shame that some people seem to have missed that but yeah. hey not everyone's gonna love everything that's, that's no. absolutely fine and credit to the wachowskis with all their films, they've always said, look, we're, we're going mm. for something that's not going to be for everyone. So yeah, what's the yeah, point in making totally a fair. film if it isn't... Uh, what's the point in contributing to art and culture if right. you aren't going to in, in, in encourage discussion? So I think they're very fair. comfortable with uh, mixed receptions. But yeah, it's, it's nice. It, the sad thing is that judging by... I mean, I know the online world is not the be-all and end-all, as, as mm. this movie tells us. Um, but a lot of mm -hmm. the online conversation, the residual dust-settled conversation around Resurrections seems to take it as read that it was a failure and a bad film. And it, it, it makes me kind of sad to know that, mm. much like the remnants of humanity, um, you know, huddled away in Zion, or Io mm. in this case, the fans yeah. of the film are very much few and far between. But hopefully we can convince people why this is a great movie that deserves second, yeah. third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I mean, something that stood out to me was just from the off, I feel like this film has a very different feel and mm. deliberately so. You know, there's obviously stuff that happens in the story that kind of explains why that is. But that was something that immediately grabbed me. I don't know about you just watching it. it totally. Was like, oh, this is shot and done in a completely different way to the others. Mm. And I find that really fascinating to watch. Yeah, I think. Did you ever watch uh, Sense8 on Netflix? I haven't got round to it yet. No. Mm. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I love all the Wachowski output. I think that's the one that I struggle with the most. I've only seen the first season, but it is, um, I just, it's kind of them spreading themselves a bit too thin. But okay. it's, it's a real, 
fulcrum in their career because in for the second season of that, um, Lily went off and she's working on another show, the name of which escapes me. But, you know, there's so many shows these days. It's so hard mm. to keep track of what's going on where. Yeah. Uh, and then, then um, Lana stayed on Sense8 Season 2 alongside, um, I think, Tom Tveiker and maybe David Mitchell as well stuck around. Mm. And I think maybe Season 2 and the specials beyond that of Sense8 were very, very instructive in terms of the filmmaking that Lana took away from it because this Resurrections does feel a lot more like Sense8 aesthetically mm. than the previous Matrix films. And I think um, it does that wonderful little thing that, I, again, I want to talk about a bit more later on, mm-hmm. where it shows flashes of images from the previous films in contrast mm. to what's happening right now in Resurrections. And it does, it emphasises the visual difference. Um, but I, I'd read somewhere that um, the first three films were really heavily storyboarded, really carefully. Everything was pre-visualised, literally and uh, otherwise, before uh, cameras even started rolling, so they knew what they were going to get and how they were going to get it. Whereas for this one, uh, which is something Lana took from Sensei, it was much more improvisational and there were no storyboards and the camera operators just basically followed the action and sort of framed it on the fly. And that's why it mm. feels a bit more looser and a little bit more kinetic. And I know a lot of people have had issue mm. with that. And I understand because, you know, the, the Wachowskis, their cinematic work previously has always been very tightly controlled and very carefully mm. composed. And it's quite a stark contrast but um mm. but certainly in that sense uh did you ever watch twin peaks the return which is five, no. five 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 years old this year which is an absolutely wild thought it doesn't feel like yesterday when it was premiering okay and uh twin peaks the return was 25 years after the original series um mm. had wrapped i believe or maybe just just more than 25 and much like um the first two seasons of twin peaks were very much a response to the dominant uh, TV drama form at the time, soap operas. It was a very sort of Lynchian surrealist twist on soap operas. Uh, The Return was very much that, but with expansive crime dramas. And so it took on the look and the feel of those. And what used to be a soft filmic glow in the original series became this harsh digital um, image in The Return. And, And I think the same transition applies to The Matrix. You have the very classical, very carefully sculpted, warm film glow of the first three. Uh, mm. And then you have this really harsh, and it is abrasive. It's very abrasive. Mm. Um, and especially the, the sort of the higher the high frame rate makes it look very, there's sort of less, less um, nowhere to hide <laughs> with that kind yeah. of filmmaking. Yeah. Uh, so again, I can see, but I think the Twin Peaks Return comparison is very... Um, it's a fruitful comparison. That that's the thing that I kept going back to in my head, and we'll we'll return there. Okay. Going 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 forwards, but I think certainly aesthetically, it reminded me an awful lot of the decisions that Lynch and Frost made with uh, Twin Peaks: The Return. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. Like I said, it did feel quite distinct, and I thought it also lent quite nicely into the. Well, sorry, it led quite nicely into mm. the story. It was sort of like a pairing almost of that, like you say, that aesthetic style because. Oh, we should probably talk about the, the the plot of the film and bringing back the choices to bring back yeah. Neo, you know, yeah. and, and sort of where where it all goes from there. God, so the and the, the plot. How how do we go into this thing? So we we begin with um, what appears, all intents and purposes, to be uh, a remake of the opening scene to the original Matrix. Mm. But immediately things seem wrong because you've you've got the digital look and you've got 
different yeah. actors playing the same characters. Then you pull back to reveal our new, I suppose, um, you could say the protagonist of this film, Bugs, uh, played by Jessica Henwick, who yeah. I guess is our audience surrogate for this film. Yeah. And she's observing what's going on and she's commenting, saying, this is not right. This is not how this went. These aren't the right people. Uh, and then we pull back to reveal that this is, in fact, a modal. This is uh, like a computer mm. training program that has been built by none other than Thomas Anderson, Neo himself, <laughs> uh, who has uh, found himself back, seemingly back in the Matrix or in the actual real world. And the events that we saw in the previous three films were uh, a video game that Thomas Anderson mm. created and won awards for. And he created this modal, which we saw at the start of the film, um, we're not quite sure why. Later turns mm. out that he, oh, and, and this is, <laughs> and this is where my lack of, um, under, my, my lack of comprehension with some of the more technical aspects of computer programming, or indeed the more basic aspects, makes me not best placed to describe it. But I think it was, mm. he basically, want, so it turns out the Neo was trapped in the Matrix again by the machines following the uh, events of the first three films because they couldn't survive on the remaining human batteries alone. They needed some kind of extra power oomph, and they found mm. that they could only really achieve that through matching, uh, through, through utilising the power that arose from combining Neo and Trinity. So they resurrected him, hence the title, and Trinity, and they used the two of them to power this new and improved Matrix. Uh, but mm. the Neo part of Thomas Anderson is still there in his head, so even though he is ostensibly very much settled into his uh, new blue pill life, some part of him is aware that he needs to get out. So he uses the modal to basically create a brand new Morpheus uh, and to mm. kickstart the cycle of events again that will ultimately lead to him being awoken and brought mm. out of the Matrix. Is kind of uh, <laughs> an on-the-fly summation. Is that, yeah. I mean, how, how would you, uh, you summarise yeah. the plot? Because it is, the entry point is a little bit tricky. Yeah, how do I summarise it? That's a good question. I think, yeah, from the trailers and from sort of general plot point yeah you've, you've hit the nail on the head yeah it seems to be that they've brought him and trinity back and they're trying to basically repopulate and revitalize the matrix in a new form and a way to sort of keep him basically docile mm. and not cause too much trouble and the way they go about that is with a very sort of interesting twist as you say with the convincing him that yeah everything that happened before did happen that's because you created it mm -hmm. and you're a video game maker. And it's, it's a very sort of interesting twist, I think, on that narrative. Yeah. Um, Did you buy and... into it? Did you believe? Because for the first act mm -hmm. or so, it does, it plays, and people have made this comparison elsewhere. It's kind of mm -hmm. like Wes Craven's New Nightmare in that it acknowledges the existence of the original works within the yeah. world. So did, did you believe that the film might go down that route? Did you think that it might... I... Mm, I don't know. I'm trying to, I, I haven't rewatched the film since I got to be honest. I'm just trying to think back to when I was in the cinema. I, I feel like I was personally always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yeah. But there was a part of me that was thinking like, oh, maybe, maybe they're going to go down this way, you know, or there's going to, yeah. I, I, yeah, I wasn't really sure. It did definitely catch me off guard. And, mm. and as you say, that intro part in particular really fascinated me. This idea of them going into the game that's, it's basically a program within a program. Mm -hmm. And then that's where we get our new Morpheus from. Yeah. Who in that version is an agent that has been designed and programmed by Neo. And he gets pulled out of that. Yeah. And then has his own sort of sentience and being. 
anyone who knows me who's listened to this knows that, that kind of stuff is right <laughs> off my street. I'm just like, oh, yes, programs and sentient life. And I'm just like, yes, yes give me it. A little and virtual Petri dish. Exactly. And I kind of love that they, they play a little bit with that. Um, uh, and some people have said, oh, they could have done more. I disagree. I'm like, well, he wasn't, he's not the main point of the story. But I thought it was an interesting way of, of sort of almost resurrecting that character, mm. like bringing Lawrence Fishman back. Um, which I have to admit was a shame. I was kind of hoping he would turn up, but I yeah. kind of get it. Yeah, apparently uh, he wasn't even asked. So I, I yeah, I, I can kind of see why though, because I think mm. if they if they're going down this road, it would make little to no sense if then he just showed up later on for a cameo. It yeah. would just be a bit like, okay, why have we got two of these guys now? Or it would be a little bit distracting. So yeah, yeah, I th- it was interesting that that sort of they made that choice. Um, and then from there, it just kind of gets weirder, right? You know, there's like <laughs> so much stuff we could talk about. I mean, I want to talk about with you the sort of reskinning, if you will, of Smith. Ah, yeah, man. I, I find that fascinating. Tremendous, tremendous reveal. And again, yeah. it's a real shame that Hugo Weaving couldn't be back because he was yeah. one of the highlights of the originals. But um, And apparently he was going to be back. They, they were going to... Really? He was going to come back, but they couldn't quite make it work because Weaving was in... Um, stage production of The Visit by Tony Kushner and um, okay. and they couldn't quite make the timings work and yeah so they, re- they re-skinned him with Jonathan Groff who ah, one of my favourite performances I could say that about at least five performances in the film that it's one of my favourite but Jonathan Groff is certainly mm, okay. I think he brings a lot of um, great oomph and from what I he was in Hamilton right? Was he one of the original yes. Hamilton cast? And he, he's, he has the best cameo in that and that he's just he's king george he just shows up <laughs> screams for like 30 seconds and then just runs off yeah it's brilliant absolutely yeah. awesome <laughs> and um uh, he brings obviously... a lot of that energy to this film yeah. doesn't he just like manic and sort of dead <laughs> behind the eyes and like chewing a lot of scenery but having a lot of yeah. fun having a great great time yeah and it is uh throughout the original trilogy smith and neo were on a, a parallel journeys they have yeah. they're going through they're sort of the yin and yang that they're both different forms of the one um mm. but they're, they're in parallel and and this film i suppose the main watching it again and i'll bring it back to your initial point yeah. i promise but watching it again yeah, fine. um this second time recently really drove home how thoroughly the idea of um rejecting binary thinking is woven into the fabric of this film because it, it's textual they literally mm. say things aren't binary, things aren't us and them, things aren't zero and mm. one. And then you have, when you see the new human uh, fortress, Io, uh, humans and machines exist together and there are different mm. kinds of machines. It's not just us and them, it's factions amongst us and faction, factions amongst them and us and mm. them trying to work together. And um, I think Smith is a great example, and, and so is Morpheus, mm. in that Morpheus is Agent Smith becomes Morpheus. Mm. Smith is also, you know, the antagonist becomes something of a, an ambivalent mm. ally, uh, uh, an imperfect ally. And, it, and it's constantly blurring the lines between the previously established dichotomies. And Groff, yeah. casting someone who is so radiating charisma and charm, like Jonathan Groff, with his natural theatre kid energy, putting him yeah. in a role that I mean, I, Weaving is sensational in the first three, but he's playing a particular kind of down-the-middle G-man who yeah. does get more and more unstuck as the films go along, but he's still playing a very particular kind of button-down um, 
very very carefully modulate his performance whereas groff kind of like mm. is the the tech bro entrepreneur he's, he's bringing that energy mm. to it and it's uh it's a yeah it's a really fascinating direction to take the character in because in any given scene you aren't quite sure if he's friend or foe and in, yeah. in the end he's both and neither everyone is you know there's, there's no there's no concrete uh machiavellian villain and and the idea of heroism is mm. massively uh not not so much complicated but it's not as simple as there is a one who is going to save us all it's it's a bit yeah. more tricky than that um yeah it's it's interesting isn't it i feel like something that i know you're a big fan of and i enjoyed in this film was the deconstruction mm. of sort of the original stuff and and the interrogating of of the myth and the story i mean again we, we spoke a lot about it in the previous episode about that's essentially what the sequels were going for mm. and explaining you know this whole thing of this like messiah sort of storyline that we're used to hearing ends up being not true and it's just you know and it, and it makes sense in the context of those yeah. films because you're like yeah they're machines of course they're gonna they figure this out and they'll just run it like a program because that's what they do yeah you know and then it, it sort of goes from there and go back and listen to that episode if you haven't already <laughs> um but this one it sort of yeah it plays around a little bit more with that because mm. now it's like okay now we're looking at all of that even more removed we're taking another step back yeah we're looking at all of that in context and analyzing it and you know that I, I yeah it just it fascinated me that they had a lot of fun mm. playing around with that and having discussions about that and yeah i felt like there was a lot of stuff they did there's even a kind of meta layer to this that I yeah. know some people find a bit irritating, but others thought were really clever. Yeah. Um, where, where did you sort of fall on that? Unsurprisingly, very much in love with, with what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be quite boring because people are going to be listening and going, for God's sake, man. But no, I, I'm very much uh, on board with a lot of what uh, mm. Lana goes for here. Um, okay. I suppose where, where, what, what's the good way to, uh, to approach this? Because I've got so many different thoughts I want to go through with regards to this. Oh, yeah, go for it. I suppose... Um, if you look at this film, okay, so so to, to go back to the first three films, so the first mm-hmm. one is sort of the perfect realization of the classical hero's journey, and it's yes, perfect movie, great sort of Campbell's hero um, example. And the second one immediately is all about deconstructing that idea and showing why the idea of a hero that we're fed is mm. disingenuous because it's someone else's idea that you're being told yeah. to subscribe to. So the third film is therefore trying to carve out your own idea of what a hero's journey is and making the case that don't let anyone else tell you what you should be aspiring to take control of that. And, and it shows the, the, how difficult that is and the things that you lose in trying to, in trying to have true freedom, be it artistically, personally, whatever. Mm. Um, and then in the intervening years, um, I don't know if we do, I think we might have discussed this uh, uh, on the, on the previous episode, um, how the ideas that the matrix presented a lot of the imagery and a lot of the wordings like the re- the red pill and and, and all mm-hmm. that kind of thing have been co-opted by some unsavory types so you've got these men's rights activists and these uh QAnon types and and general mm. right-wing pundits who utilize a lot of the film's language and, and visual ideas to um support their own uh pretty unpleasant worldviews um mm. so i think the Wachowskis increasingly from speed racer onwards in their films and TV output have been very, very blunt in the way they portray their ideas and saying, no, no, we're about peace and love and, mm. and freedom of expression and, and, and your, your own truth. 
And I think this film is a try is attempting to reclaim what the original Matrix was about. And whereas that mm. film uh, portrayed its ideas in classical cinematic uh, ways or classic, even beyond that, classical narrative ways, this film is it's sort of rejecting the very binaries that those stories are built upon. So again, mm. like I was mentioning, it, it, it rejects the binary of human, of, of human versus machine and it kind of rejects a lot of the um, dynamics that were set up in the Matrix film. So again, you have Smith mm. and, and, uh, and Neo. They're no longer opposites. They're some weird kind of middle ground. And one thing mm. that really struck me watching it again was how even down to the film's lan- uh, language, they, they never used the phrase the one. That is not something that is mentioned, True. not even once. So mm. they are literally rejecting the one, and I guess by extension, the zero. So they are, in, in all mm. through the film's DNA, they're rejecting binary thinking. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, u- ultimately the point of the film is that it's not about, you know, Neo is, is not the one. It was always Neo and Trinity who needed each other, and it was their love. Yeah. That, yeah. that created this huge seismic shift. And ultimately the film mm. is this big open-hearted uh, uh, plea to just to love and, yeah. and, and allow yourself to, to feel true emotions and allow yourself to, to be and, and, and sort of embrace the chaos of being different. Mm. Um, and yeah. So I, I, I love, <laughs> I'm a, a sentimental earnest guy mm-hmm. and I, I love that kind of thing i, I think yeah. um there's a great bit uh back when neo is for the second time in these films awoken again from the matrix and brought back to the real world he's mm. uh sitting in his chambers in the new ship the name of which i'm not quite committed to memory just yet mm. but anyway the new ship that bugs is the captain of and she sits in his in his room with him and she she talks to him and she's got a great bit where neo is kind of saying um uh, I feel like it was all for nothing. Uh, everything I achieved was a, a, a video game. And Bugs says, um, that's it, isn't it? If we don't know what's real, we can't resist. They took your story, something that meant so much to people like me, and turned it into something trivial. That's what the Matrix mm. does. It weaponizes every idea, every dream, everything that's important to us. And mm. that can quite literally apply to the people, the bad faith pundits who took a lot of yeah. the language of the Matrix and took something so personal to the Wachowskis and made mm-hmm. it something evil. Mm-hmm. But it, I also read this as, because obviously this film textually rejects a lot of the interpretations of it. There's a great boardroom yeah. scene early on when everyone is yeah. pitching their yeah, interpretations. Yeah. Uh, it's a trans allegory. It's about this, this, and this. And Lana's kind of saying, no, don't tell me what my film is about. Don't tell anyone. It's, yeah. it's essentially, it's about what you want it to be about. Yeah, um, it's like a lot of art. It's, generally open to interpretation yeah, yeah there's lots of different ways of looking at it i yeah. agree but yeah. beneath all that it's about truth mm. and love and and not hate um, mm-hmm. but i think that this mm-hmm. this that little speech by bugs really reminded me of how obviously we're in pride month right now as of recording it's june uh, mm. and and you have these big multinational corporations for the month of june change their logos to the pride flag and then as soon mm. as july 1st comes around zero 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 one a.m uh, it goes back to normal again and it's this sort of performative allyship this empty gesture allyship it's taking something mm. like the, the the lgbtq cause and and co-opting mm. it and and making it trivial you know and it, it, it's taking right, these okay. radical movements and these radical yeah, I, guess, yeah. I guess they shouldn't be radical but these these people that have had to really fight for their voices and fight for their right to be heard 
taking right. that fight, making it part of this corporate makeup just to get some quick and easy mm. backpacks. Mm. So okay. I think that that I think what Bug says in that scene is, is the key to unlock all of it. It's a, it's a rejection of huh. of of ideas of hard fought ideas and hard fought yeah. victories being made uh, being rendered cheap by the wrong people using them in the wrong way. So even though I just said the film rejects interpretations and so it says it is what it, mm. it it means what it means to you, that's not entirely true. I think it's her it's her Lana saying. Forget all that highfalutin stuff. Forget reading it as a trans message. Forget reading it as a Baudrillardian hellscape. Forget all these different kinds of reading. It is mm. fundamentally about love and, mm. and truth. And uh, yeah, again, right. in, in this day and age, when you can't have a, a scene in a Marvel film that's heartfelt without someone deflating it with a little quip, it's hard for mm. us as a modern audience to really stomach that level of earnestness. And I think it's easy, yeah. very easy, to mock something or someone who goes out on a limb to express themselves truly and sincerely. Uh, but Matt, yeah. that is the reason that I love the Wachowski so much. They're always <laughs> taking these big stylistic swings, but beneath it always a genuine heart and passion. And I think it's deeply right. admirable. And uh, to no one's surprise that, that watching this film again, I cried many, many times. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. I mean, like I said, I haven't had the chance to rewatch this just yet. But yeah, that scene in particular, you mentioned with um, with Bugs mm. and with um, Neo. Yeah, I, that's true. Yeah, I'd forgot that was in there. And you know, something that leaps out to me in, in amongst all of that, I think what you've just said is is a very astute observation. But it made me think about how people often try and rewrite history as well. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that I, Absolutely, I feel like is, yeah. is layered in there of, of um yeah trying to rewrite history and the fact that so many uh people will often do that you know and mm. and that's like you say i think as a sort of swing that this movie takes of of grabbing all the sequels popping them in a game within the matrix and yeah yeah if you can rewrite all of that yeah and exactly. trivialize all of it yeah. then then like as she says yeah like a the the sort of spark of rebellion can mm. be put out if you don't no know one, what's no real believe you it. can't resist exactly yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. it's it's very intelligent. It's a really, really good way of looking at it. it, it, it it's, it's, yeah, it's, it, that's the key. It was watching, because the first time I saw it, it it's, it's going, it, it's a bit disorientating, isn't it, when you watch it the first time? It's taking a lot of left turns and right turns, and, and it's not until the final stretch that the film clicked for me the first time. Yeah. Watching it again the second time, it was that scene with Bugs, who, by the way, I think Henwick is fantastic in this film and she deserves oh, awesome. a huge career off the back of this because she's so charming and so mm. such an intelligent performer. And uh, yeah, if, I, I wish, would that this film had done well, uh, yeah. well enough to, to give her a franchise of her own or, or whatever, whatever she wants to do next. But yeah, I think her spiel in that scene is the key that unlocks this film because um, mm. like you mentioned, the, a lot of the negative reviews uh, were irritated by the meta-ness of it all. The other thing... Well, mm. I guess the the most egregious one could argue example of that is when Smith is in a meeting with sorry, when Neo or Thomas Anderson is in a meeting with his uh, business partner who turns out to be Smith, and mm. uh, and and I can't think what it's what it's called before he's revealed to be Smith. Can you? I can't remember either. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll just say Groff. When 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 Reeves <laughs> is in a scene with Groff, and Groff is saying, "Look, the studio is making us make a fourth Matrix. Uh, it's out of my hands. They're going to do it with us yeah. or without us." And a lot of people took that to mean that Lily was admitting that this film is, sorry, Lana, mm. 
forgive me, that Lana was mm. admitting that this film was unwanted and right. is her just doing damage control. And I think that's a really disingenuous way to look at it because, again, looking into mm. the development of this film, pretty much every year since the third one came out, Warners have been like, yeah, can we, can we get to the Matrix? Have you got to the Matrix? Can we, can we, mm. can we return to the cash cow? <laughs> Even though Revolutions didn't do very well, uh, they still saw it as a viable property. So for <laughs> going on for <laughs> you know, 15 or so years post-Revolutions, they were like, come on, into the Matrix. And there yeah. were rumours for a long time of, of uh, a sequel trilogy. There were rumours of two other films starring Reeves, both of which proved to be uh, falsified. And then there was, mm. there was um, Zach Penn was supposedly developing a screenplay with Michael B. Jordan playing a younger Morpheus, and he was developing yeah, like a, a side quill or whatever you call it. Yeah. Um, mm. And then I think it got to a stage where I think uh, Lana had a particularly rough patch in her life. And can I find her, her quote? Mm. Yeah. So she, she, unfortunately, in 2019, she lost both of her parents um, oh. and a close friend of hers. And she said at yeah. the time... Uh, I couldn't have my mum and dad, yet suddenly I had Neo and Trinity, arguably the two most important characters in my life. It was immediately comforting to have these two characters alive again. And it's super simple. You can look at it and say, okay, these two people die, and okay, bring these two people back to life. And oh, doesn't that feel good? Yeah, it did. It's simple, and this is what art does, and this is what stories do. They comfort us, and they're important. So much mm. as you might look at that scene in Resurrections of them saying, uh, they're mm. making us make a fourth one, that's not that that's her artistic license because ultimately she's the one who had something in her life yeah make her turn back to these characters and, and in that moment she found what the story could be um and in the end she pitched that to warner brothers who were like great yes finally let's get this on the go yeah so i think as much as as this film could be seen to have cynical beginnings there's, uh -huh. there's very very clearly even if you aren't aware of that spiel from Lana just there and, mm -hmm. and her personal motivations I think yeah. you can really feel how much uh, genuine emotion is invested in this and, and how much of herself Lana has put into this film yeah I'd say that's fair and it's funny you say that because I, I clocked that as well but my sort of interpretation of it was that it was just a, a little sort of meta joke mm, at how yeah. the fact that a lot of studios do that these yeah. days i think it is and more than anything else yeah yeah and like leading into it i'd heard an interview um with keanu reeves and carrie ann uh, moss carrie ann moss thank you mm -hmm. I, I knew the surname moss for some reason i just completely <laughs> blanked anyway yeah i heard an interview with those two and they were talking about this and um i think uh Actually, I think it was on the Empire podcast and they asked them about the sequels and stuff and why they sort of came back. And they just said, you know, well, you know, Lana came to us with a story. Mm. And I think they made a, an offhand comment about how, you know, that this wouldn't be happening unless they had a story. Yeah. Yeah. That they wanted to tell. And so I again went in with that in the back of my head. I think yeah. when I heard that quote, I just sort of went, oh, yeah, it's just a, I just well, that's just a joke then. That's yeah, not them totally. saying our hands are tied. Sorry. Yeah. Because, yeah who's you know i it, it just doesn't make any sense if you think about it logically as well of like why would a studio wait this long mm. to force somebody to make a sequel in these kind of situations because yeah they do happen it's usually two to three years it's you know while things are moving that studios then go no no you've signed a contract we want you to do a third yeah. or a fourth one and then a someone's brought in or a director's you know dragged in kicking and screaming or whatever mm. so yeah like you say this film and everything around it to me, none of it screamed, 
you know, basically hostile takeover or (laughs) however you want to put it. Like, it was just like, no, I don't think that's true at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think in, in, in that sense, it, it, again, harkens back to Twin Peaks to return because you think, you think about um, all the legacy sequels that we have these days there, there, there's, I, I, I'm not entirely sure of how these movies play to you, but to me, mm. you know, Rise of Skywalker, Ghostbusters Afterlife, the recently released, as of now, Jurassic World Dominion, and even to a point, No Way Home, which which plays like a legacy sequel because it brings back Tobey Maguire and mm-hmm. Andrew Garfield. Sorry, spoilers, you should have seen it by now. <laughs> um, but all, all, all those films, and I know... Particularly, No Way Home has its big defenders. My my pod my pod husband is a big mm. it, it, it is a reasonable fan of that film. It didn't really work mm. for me, and the <gasps> the other ones that I mentioned. I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not going to go much more into it beyond that. Okay, forget it's fine. No, forget it's No fine. Way Home. We'll no, take no, that no, out of the it's equation. Fine. It's totally fine. I, I I just sorry to cut you off, but I, I see no, it from fine. both angles because I'm a big fan of nostalgia, and it does it is it gives us a dopamine hit. You know, it's it's it a, does, yeah, it's sure. a lizard brain kicking in and going. I recognise that thing. <laughs> um, and to me, like those movies were a big part of my childhood, particularly oh, totally the Tobey Maguire same. ones. So yeah, yeah, I was absolutely ecstatic. Mm. But you're right; it it doesn't always land. Um, and, and to your yeah. point, I feel like legacy sequels are hit and miss. Funny enough, you mentioned Jurassic World Dominion, and you groaned, right? Did you groan? <sighs> <laughs> good, good, because I I similarly good groaned. Grief. <laughs> you know, the weirdest thing, right? I saw that movie, and the week before, I saw Top Gun Maverick. Ah, talk about two legacy yeah. sequels, and talk about night and day. But I feel like they are the perfect examples of of this exact conversation, right? Mm. Of how one is you can get it so one hundred percent right and make all the money and make everybody happy, or you can just get it so horribly wrong and still somehow make all the money. But yeah, that's beside the point. So yeah, to sort of circle back to what we we're saying. Sorry, please continue. I've sorry I interrupted. <laughs> no, no, not 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 at all, not at all. That's a good that's a good comparison. So I think um, the film uh, the films that I mentioned, uh, Rise mm. of Skywalker, Ghostbusters Afterlife, Dominion. I, I don't think it's controversial to say they're all pretty pretty weak, pretty weak source. Mm. You know, that uh, they they do they they push these nostalgic buttons, and you know they work financially because they all did pretty well, mm. but it leaves a very synthetic and hollow aftertaste and you take away yes. all those signifiers. And what have you got? You take away all the, 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 the close-ups of Twinkies or the, yeah. I mean, Dominion even brings back the bloody shaving foam canister from the, what, why do you feel yeah. the need to bring back objects and show them to yeah. us? I don't care if Chewie finally gets his medal. I don't <laughs> care. What does it matter? Tell me about it. Means it means nothing. Yeah. It means absolutely yeah. nothing. And it just, it, it, it hits yeah. these, um, the notes that it thinks it should to get a quick, like you say, dopamine rush. Yeah. But then you just feel like when you have a 3 a.m. McDonald's, you just feel that sense of shame weighing you down <laughs> and emptiness, <laughs> empty calories. And, the, <laughs> and it's funny you mentioned Marcus Maverick. Oh. Maverick does do all of that stuff. But I think, mm. I mean, for, first of all, you have someone like Kaczynski who is, just a different league of filmmaker compared to the other ones. He's, yes. He knows how to do what he does, unlike yeah. Abrams or Reitman or <sighs> Trevor. Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, but he, I think he also uses like he. I mean, it's a bit of a tangent now, but I'll, I'll bring it. It's fine. I'll bring it yeah, back. I promise. It. But mm. I think Tom Cruise, for the first time, really allows himself to be used as an aging man, and that's kind of baked into mm. the fabric of Maverick. So 
right. yes, you're hitting the same notes of the first film, but they're drawn, they're thrown into sharp relief by the fact that everything you're seeing, that the movie star now is not a man approaching mm. his 60s and everything they're doing is very much outdated. And it has that kind yeah. of one last ride, dying days of the old West kind of feel to it. And I found mm. it a very, I mean, a propaganda element aside, I find it a very emotionally affecting experience because it, 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 mm. it is utilizing that nostalgia yeah. to, I think, quite emotionally mature ends. Definitely. And the Resurrections, I think, does a similar thing in a very, very different way. It, it doesn't, mm. it could so easily recreate scenes from the original film, and it kind of does, but then it mm. undercuts them and it punctures them and it takes them in directions that you aren't expecting. And um, on the one hand, it's frustrating because it, it, it denies you the dopamine rush, but if you stick with it yeah. and go through to the end, the way it pays off, again, much like in Twin Peaks to Return, that is three quarters of a season of denying you what you want and then when it finally comes it's not how you expected and it means so much more yeah. uh, because both Resurrections and Twin Peaks are Return um, they're not content to just trot out the same old points to get an easy reaction they want to delve into why why you feel like you do about these things why it means what it means to you what that says about you and the state of of you know culture or society as a whole and it wants to sort of utilize those feelings to explore something new. And yeah. it, it doesn't make, if, if you're going into the new Matrix expecting something like, um, you know, the Rise of Skywalker approach, you're going to be disappointed because it's not interested mm. in giving you easy dopamine. Yeah. Uh, it is instead, it wants to make you think about your relationship to these things that you're seeing. And uh, it wants to, to sort of ch challenge you to, to, to feel something genuine. He wants to really yeah. earn that emotional. And when I know this is a clean podcast, so I'll beat myself out. But when you get to the moment at the end when Neo makes his plea to Trinity in in the uh, in the um, sim simulate <laughs> in the coffee shop, <laughs> yeah, 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 and uh, and and she she doesn't believe him, and she walks away, and her husband handsome Chad comes in and says, "Come yeah. on, come on, Tiffany, let's go," and she says, um. Uh, something along the lines of uh, don't you ever effing call me that name I hate yeah. that effing name my name is Trinity and you're like mm. yes yes <laughs> yes and then yeah. you have um, yeah I don't know it, 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 I suppose it's the closest it gets to a hit in the dopamine button but it, it comes after mm. a very hard fought battle to reestablish yeah I mean the there's weight of there's love a, definitely because there's a moment earlier on isn't there when like um, I think Neil Patrick Harris's mm. character. What's the name? The analyst. Is he the name? Yes, the analyst. That's it. Thank you. He kind of has the the bad guy speech scene, which I always enjoy in movies. <laughs> yeah, in, but in even, the new but they have time. fun with it. Mm. Yeah, and they have fun. And that's how they do it. Yeah. And you you get that moment, and that's the moment you kind of think, well, like Neil's going to save the day, mm. and him and Trinity are now going to run off in the sunset, and mm. all of this, and. Yeah, it doesn't work. His sort of powers and everything are kind of completely shifted, and it's that taking that your expectations and putting them on their head, mm. and he's just having a moment of just explaining all of it to you and being yeah. like, "Yeah, do you think we'd make the same mistake twice?" Basically, yeah, yeah. And you're like, again, you, I'm sat there going, "That actually makes sense." Yeah, they've they've completely rebuilt this world. They've gone through all this trouble to carry you in it. 
like you say, that the the cheap and easy thing would have been to give us that hit early, yeah, and have him like yeah. you know, rally. And I was half expecting him at a moment to be like, "But the power of love will make him break through, right?" <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't happen, and it's kind of disappointing. But I'm like, good. Yeah. I'm glad you didn't take that cheap and easy hit at that moment. You've got to get there of, on our own terms. You've got to you've got to earn it, and yeah. that's totally fine. And I feel like this film does that at several it's, points. It's so funny because it could, you know, there's that, that much parodied, rightly so, bit at the end of at the start of Rise of Skywalker. Uh, uh-huh. somehow Darth Sidious has returned. <laughs> oh, that's all we're going to get? That's it, is it? Okay, cool. What happened behind the scenes? And it's said in, with in Os- Oscar Isaacs, just sigh. Just that People need to get... If you haven't seen the movie, oh, I don't somehow. blame you. Yeah. Just go and watch it. It's incredible. It's the look of an actor <laughs> who's just given up. He, he just... can, yeah. Oscar <laughs> Isaac. He can't hide yeah. it, can he? No, in, no he, he, even he, one of the great actors of, of today, is not that, that good of an actor to, to sell yeah. that nonsense um but this i think this film what what this film could so easily have been in other hands in non wachowski mm. hands it could have started mm. up with a, a first order kind of there's a new machine threat to the new yeah. zion and the new generation of freedom fighters led by someone like bugs have to uh resurrect neo and trinity and yeah. and, and they then teach the kids how to fight i mean that would have been fish in a barrel and that would have been a film yeah. that made much more money and was liked true. by more true, people. True. But instead, if you think about it, really, the stakes in this film are very, very personal. They're not, there's mm. no immediate threat to the new machine world. The machines aren't enclosing like they were in the originals. Everyone no. is kind of existing relatively at peace, although the threat is much more creeping and insidious. Yeah. It's much more of the uh, sort of uh, alt-right online discourse as opposed to something that's yeah. very, very physical and tangible. What this film is built around is uh, ca- ca- basically can can this guy uh, and and love of his life? I mean, what the film basically is 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 this love between the two of them real? Can it survive? That's essentially what it boils yeah. down to. And yeah, it's it, it's, <laughs> it, it's quite funny how she's how Lana took hundred ninety million dollars to make a sequel to a huge blockbuster franchise to make mm-hmm. a deeply personal movie about love and the enduring yeah. quality of love and. The big set piece is, is, yeah, based around can this man convince the love of his life to remember that she's the love of his life? And Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think that's true, yeah. It's a very, it's, it sort of comes back to what we were saying before, what made the, the, the difference in the sequels and the whole theme of, yeah, of love. And that was what made Neo different from all the other mm. ones and, and stopped the cycle, the program from repeating itself over and over. It's love, because it's yeah. something that, as we said before, is is almost unknowable and it's 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 messy and it's mm. unpredictable and that was like the spanner and the cogs yeah. basically That's the thing in the first film there. and this is yeah and it's like in this film they're basically trying to contain that because mm. it can be useful but that's the question is, can you, can you contain it? And yeah, like 100%. you say, really simple and a great, a great idea underneath all of it. Yeah. And so talking about the threat actually the, of the machines and stuff, I kind of loved that it was essentially, there was now like this, sort of war within the machines mm, themselves yeah you know, and the fact that they split off again big for me of like yes ai <laughs> artificial intelligence yeah. sentient yes some of them wake up and go actually i don't want to kill humans anymore i don't yeah. like this and it, it sort of just goes into this whole exploring the world of the machines because mm. in the in the first kind of couple of movies really they're just they're the big ominous threat right yeah they're all sort of big clumbering it's just they're represented as this just massive machines yeah. and 
and swarm. horribleness yeah. is a swarm. Whereas in this, they get a bit more personality. And you realize, like you mentioned earlier, we find out that some of them basically defect mm. because it's, and it's a great, I, was, I sat there, I remember watching it going like, yeah, this makes total sense. I'm glad they're addressing this mm. because you think, yeah, okay, the, the whole premise is it's artificial intelligence that's trying to self-sustain and, and all of that. So there's going to be like a society within all of that, right? And, and mm. if they can all free think, then maybe they have opinions on the war yeah. with humanity and maybe they feel differently. And what about what happens after the, the debacle with Smith and how he basically completely ruined the Matrix? You think, <laughs> yeah, there would be a bit of an uprising, surely. And so, yeah, I love that the movie then takes a minute to address that yeah. and kind of show you that side of it. Yeah, because there, there is the worry going in. Uh, I mean, in hindsight, it seems foolish to ever doubt uh, Lana, right. but going in, you think, are, are they going to really use much of the matrix sequels in mm. this new one because they were so wi widely derided and, and they're kind of being reclaimed now but kind mm. of not in the way that they deserve really and you do think okay for the first uh what hour of the film it's all new yeah. matrix no hint of real world you think okay fine okay that's fine i can live with something that deals with the first one more but then you know after the hour mark you go deep into the into the real yeah. world again deep into dealing with the fallout of the original films and like you say it's done in such mm. a, a smart and, and intuitive way it's not because again my, my fear was that okay if they do address the sequels how are they going to make new drama out of something that was resolved at the end of the third one i don't want to see a first order type thing yeah. i don't want to have because yeah. that feels so it'd be lazy wouldn't it, it be like so and the, mach cheap. the machines yeah. are the big bad again yeah and, you know, the war started yeah. again you'd be like but what was the point of the other one then? But what was the point yeah. of Neo's sacrifice and, and all of everything that happened? But as you say, yeah. they very carefully sidestepped that. It's, it's such a beautiful way, and it, mm. it feels so thematically true as well to, to again, the idea yeah. of rejecting binary thinking and... Yes, yeah. And yeah, and dealing with something that's a little bit more difficult to, to diagnose and difficult to discern than uh, mm -hmm, a, a mm -hmm. mustachioed villain. It's something yeah. a bit more everyday and something that you have to... And I feel like it's every day. Mm. It's something that, yeah, to, to your point there, I feel like it's something that we can relate to mm. as well, right? Again, it's this idea of there's a civil war within that side of mm. the enemy, you know, and, and again, it, it'd be easy to think the binary of, yeah, the machine's the bad. But as we see, we get, we get this sort of peek behind the curtain and the look at, you no, know, there's two sides to this mm. story. And I, I kind of love that. I kind of love that they took the time to explore it and. It's something that we can recognize in ourselves, I think, whenever there's, you know, big issues like that. And you think about it for the machine's point of view, after everything that happened at the end of uh, revolutions, mm. that was the chance to try something new and to grow. But then mm. what you've basically got is one half that want to go back to the old ways and hence why they basically kidnap Neo and Trinity and trying yeah. to make the old stuff stick and then you've got another half that are splinting off and going well no we want to try this instead mm. and that happens in human history all of the time <laughs> you know yeah. something major cataclysmic happens that's how new civilizations are formed mm -hmm. is some people will desperately cling to the good old days and the way things were done and then another yeah. section will go no we want to go over here and explore new stuff thank you very much and yeah sometimes there's war and, well, it's usually war and one of them dies yeah but and, and again so it's like Right, you're bringing that, 
but putting it on the machines. Mm. That's really smart. That's a really good way of progressing the story. And something you said earlier about, you know, with legacy sequels. Um, funny enough, uh, I was on Unequal Sequel with mm. David Rich recently, and we were talking about Blade Runner 2049, which is my favorite film. Ah, um, great. And yeah. What, what I love about that and about, you can talk about Top Gun Maverick and other movies like it, is with legacy sequels, I think you need to push the story forward. And like you say, address the limitations of, mm. of characters and their previous actions and perhaps their ways of thinking or things like that. And then you, you take the world that you've built and something that the Blade Runner does, which I love, and I, th- and I feel like this movie does as mm. well, is it, it explores that world a little bit more. Mm. It expands, it pushes it in a logical conclusion yeah. into, into the next step. So as you say, as a viewer, you're, you're, that's going to be more engaging. Yeah, because you're because you're right that the cheap answer would have been just make them the bad guy again, and we won't bother seeing what that's all about. Mm. But in this, we get a little bit more. So, so I feel like I've ranted a lot about the no, no, side of not it. At all, it, not at all. Not at all. I find that fascinating. No, it's it. it's so nice for me to hear someone else who's very mm. you know jazzed and passionate about uh, aspects mm. of this film. What did you think about like the well? You mentioned it earlier. Io, the the new mm. human side of it. It's. I think um, uh, this is a concession that I'll make to, to friends of mine that I've spoken to. I think that they've always said that the middle section of the film is is the hardest, mm. uh, is is the most testing. And I, I think I would agree that I do find that bit the least rewarding. Um, not because okay. I think the design of it is 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 great. The design of it's lovely, and I love again, like we've said, I love the way that they've taken the machine story. I love seeing Jada mm. Pinkett Smith again. I think she's fantastic, and I'm so pleased she's back. And mm. Just to go back to something we started talking about earlier on, apparently there was much negotiating yeah. between um, uh, Wachowski and Smith, uh, Pinkett Smith, and it was only when uh, Pinkett Smith realised how much the film meant to Lana Wachowski that she agreed to to sign on. So, That's nice. yeah, yeah. So, I, I do like uh, I like you got a lot of the Sense Eight cast that are, that are used in uh, the IO sequences. I like mm. the sort of synthetic nature that they're making through. The collaborations and it's developing yeah, it yeah. sort of harkens back to uh in the first film when they're eating their gruel and um that's right and yeah. mouse is talking about you know what i think chicken tastes like i think chicken tastes like uh, everything <laughs> and it harkens back to the, the idea of synthesizing natural mm. uh thing. and yeah and it's nice to see that finally come to fruition um but to be honest with you i think the the, the reason that i think i and, and other people i've spoken to do do think this is maybe the weaker section three words or five words lack of Carrie Ann Moss because she's so yes, um, yeah. alive and so present in the scenes that she's in that you do feel her absence mm. and, and you need to feel her absence to make the final act have so much emotional charge but it True. does it does mean that you are slightly thinking oh I really want to see Trinity again come on bring her mm. back <laughs> yeah but, um, yeah it, yeah. does, it does sort of slow down as well. Like, I mean, deliberately so. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. you're now in a peaceful environment, as you say, they're exploring all these other bits and bobs. So, yeah, I'll admit that is when it sort of suddenly takes a really sharp break mm. and it's the slow Gather down. Your breath. Yeah. 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 But then I think that's, that's okay. And yeah, some of the stuff we got in there was, was really interesting Definitely, to see. Yeah. And, I mean, there's and nothing they, else yeah. I would have read. Sorry, nothing else I would have really wanted from, from that. Yeah. Sorry, go yeah, on. I, I no, off. I agree. I agree. I was just thinking about it. I was like, yeah, it's it's a brief moment anyway, and yeah, you kind of know they're going back, so they don't they don't spend too much time kind of messing around with that. You know, there's a little yeah. moment where it feels like it's like, oh, are we can drag this out, 
<laughs> yeah. them being like, no, you can't go back. I won't yeah. let you. And it's like, yeah, but he's gonna, so come on. And they just kind of very quickly on a dime flip that around. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh, thank goodness. So we can just get on with the <laughs> yeah. story and get moving. Um, yeah. But speaking of returning characters, what yes. I'd love to pick your brains about, I, you, you know where I'm going. I think I know where you go. I think uh, Cause the Effect, um, <laughs> you uh, invoke a Causality. character and uh, I get excited by it. Uh, cause and Effect. Sorry, I have no idea what you're going to go for with this, Harley, so surprise me. Uh, one of the most bizarre cameos <laughs> I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if Hands I can... Hands down. I'm a, I, I should have prepared this. I'm, I'm going to try and get his speech, or I say speech. He spends most of his scene just shouting things, doesn't he? I think he's just... So for people that... Yeah, if you haven't seen this and you're listening, fair play, keeping up with this conversation. But <laughs> our good friend, the Merovingian, returns, which I was quite happy to see. I've always loved that <laughs> yeah, side of too. the sequels of, like, his sort of gang of weird, creepy monster people are all, like, basically broken programs from previous Matrix. Yeah. And I love that they just kind of turn up in this yeah. For like 10 minutes and you're like of course they survived these of guys course. are cockroaches of course they found a way and he turns up exactly. dressed as a cockroach basically in like rags yeah and he's just screaming obscenities in french it's, it's uh, amazing uh, you 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 ruined every uh suck my silky ass thing we had grace we had style we had conversation not this out films books were all better yeah. originality mattered you gave us face zucker suck and so and so so and so so and so <laughs> this is not over yet our sequel franchise spin-off <laughs> it, yeah I, I mean yeah i love it like, thank you for that performance uh, apologize to any french listeners i am uh, impersonating a very hacky french stereotype <laughs> But no, I, I love, oh, I love him. I love, it. I love Lambert Wilson. I love him in the original, yeah. in the uh, second and third. And I think, again, it's a really fun way of using him because in the previous Matrix versions, he's always survived and he's, he's sort of had mm. his empire based on essentially trafficking in uh, exiled yeah. programs. And I, I had, I think I heard someone talk, um, either read it or heard someone talking about that the dilapidated building that they meet Merovingian yeah. in is yeah. potentially his mansion. Is like the ported oh, version cool. of his mansion, which is now all dilapidated and, and nice. died out because the very nature, the the structure of the Matrix and the, the, the almost mm. the coding of it is different to what it was, and he's like not yeah. compatible anymore. Hence his ranting and raving. Mm. It's <laughs> um, great. Yeah, it's, it's so brilliant. great. It's just it's just a nice little touch, and it gets mm. one of those things. It's it's not really important to the story, no. but it's just it's, it's just a fun little. Yeah, yeah, it's flavor exactly. It's like the fact that Reloaded technically has vampires and werewolves, and you don't really need to yeah. know that. But once you do, it's nice, nice texture, nice yeah, bit of exactly. flavor to the world. Mm. Yeah, and uh, oh, yeah. So I've, I've got a question for you, actually. Um, Ooh, thinking back to when you saw it, what, what was mm. your favorite performance? Because there's a lot of different performance types mm. and and different uh, characters and characterizations. Which one? That's such a good question. I feel like I I loved Keanu Reeves in mm. it. I thought as a sort of broken version mm. of of Neo initially. He's so very it was good all at that. For nothing. Yeah, because he's playing it on multiple layers. You know, like the initial, like you say, the blue pill life, the confusion, mm. the sort of just mundanity of it all. Like the way he puts that across is really great. And then, like 
scenes with him and Carrie Ann Moss are so sweet and mm. lovely. Oh, and he's so just so good. Yeah. Like, the, their little chemistry is just, it's adorable. It's so like, delicate. Just, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's played really in a really gentle way, which I really enjoyed. Mm. Um, but I know one that kind of jumped out to me was, um, um, you have to give me, what's the actor's name who plays young Morpheus in this new Morpheus? Oh, Yaya Abdul Mateen II, the most yeah, charming yeah. man alive. <laughs> oh, man. He just radiated off the yeah. screen. Like, he had so much fun playing with that. And, totally. and it was a fascinating one because when he first shows up, as we established, he's a program that's built as sort of conflict, mm. you know, like in the yeah. testing it because it's part Morpheus, part Smith. And so he's sort of initially I'm like, oh, is he going to play this really serious and like a worn out, you know, like somebody who's struggling internally or he could have gone that way. Mm. Anything could have made sense. But in the end, he just kind of, once he was out of there and he's full Morpheus mode, he's just having so much fun with yeah, every scene. He and really it's is. just like, <laughs> he's great. He's so, so great. And yeah, he, he really leapt out to me as somebody that just, just embraced the kind of madness of yeah. his character and was like, I'm just going to go for this. Yeah. Um, but, but not in a way that's distracting weirdly as well. Like in a way that it was, that it was just great. Just watching him bounce off of, off of all the other characters, particularly Neo, I felt like, you know, he, he, it was a very knowing performance mm. of like, yeah, I know I'm not the guy that you're expecting, mm. but that doesn't matter. I'm just going to, I'm going to be me. Yeah, exactly. Go for it. I'm evolving. It's, 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 yeah, I'm exactly. Not... Yeah, that was it. It was someone who was finding his feet. Yeah. Um, but doing it with a massive grin and just, yeah, so much, so much charm. <laughs> <laughs> but it's hard though, isn't it? Because we've spoken about Graf mm. and, and Jessica Henwick and Jada Pinkett Smith and, and like Priyanka Chopra is really good and... Yeah, all the sensate yeah. people it's nice to see christina ricci pop up for a scene but mm -hmm. you did you you mentioned it then the scenes between uh neo and trinity or thomas anderson and tiffany they mm. just have such uh, an understated gentle power to them yeah and it's such it's, it feels very built in and it feels very unforced and yeah, yeah i think keanu Reeves is is very good at, at sort of giving shades to his kind of stiff wooden Thomas Anderson mm. performance, but Carrie Ann Moss is just, I think because, because she hasn't really, I know she was in Jessica Jones and she's been in yeah. things here and there between mm -hmm. then and now, but unfortunately she's someone else who, whose career, who, who deserved a much bigger career than she got. Definitely. And so you see her in this and you think, my God, it has been almost 20 years since we last saw it in a, in a big, in a big way. Mm. Um, and yeah, she, she just, you feel age on both of them, but, there is just mm. something again delicate and intangible in her performance that yeah. I think is really, really heartbreaking at first, and then heartrending by the end when she rediscovers her true power. Yeah, um, and yeah, man, the 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 bit I, I love everything from when he goes uh, to Simulate at the end to try and convince her to uh, of who she mm. really is, and she initially rejects him. But then upon being sort of manhandled by handsome Chad, who in mm -hmm. real life is uh, um, Chad Stileski, who directed the first John Wick film and who That's right. was um, yeah. the stunt double uh, in the original mm. film for Keanu Reeves. Uh, and then he manhandles her and she's like, oh, actually, forget, forget this. I, I am Trinity. I've I been yeah. lying to myself all these years. And and then she breaks back and there's a bit when they're outside and they're both being t torn away and they're both reaching towards each other and their hands yeah. touch and you have this montage and it's something the film has been doing occasionally throughout. It gives you 
Something mm. will happen in this film that's an echo of an original moment, and it will show you that original moment in flat in mm. not quite flashback. It's more like it's like a an extra textual flash, flashback almost. And yeah. when they touch hands in that moment, you have flashes of of all the times in the past that they've like hugged mm-hmm. and, and and kissed and had that that intimate connection. And it's so beautifully done. It's such mm. a gorgeous little moment. And uh, yeah, a real, real real mess. And I think that's what gives the final. Set piece mm. so much charge. It's uh, uh, yeah, it's just lovely, and it's yeah. weird to 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 leave a Matrix film thinking that was lovely, but it is just <laughs> it's just lovely, and it's I think yeah. it's largely I think she is the the beating heart of this film to uh, to, to trot out a slightly trite phrase, which is not <laughs> to say funny. that I mean it, it's hard to to pick a standout because I'm looking at the yeah. cast list now. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I'm pleased that you mentioned Yaya because he's superb. Um, because I think he, he had a, a hard job in that it was like going in and thinking, oh, okay, you're sort of stepping over Lawrence Fishburne, mm. who you know has an amazing role in that first one, and sort of it, it's a it's a thing, isn't it, when you're an actor and you're playing a younger version of mm. of well established character of are you just going to be doing a really sort of bizarre imitation, or are you going to try and do your own thing? And I yeah. feel like most of the time it's like you can't please. Yeah. people if you do either or i mean i think of um i forget the name of the actor who played young han solo olden ehrenreich yeah ehrenreich yeah fantastic actor but yeah. no way he could he could pull that off without people being everyone no. being happy it just wasn't gonna it was a losing battle he so was, i feel like yeah this movie was smart enough to not put yaya in that situation and be like okay you are playing a version mm. of him and by establishing that quite early yeah that gave him free reign to just do what he wanted with it. Yeah, it's like in the scene when he first meets Neo in the bathroom, he says, hello, mm. Neo. And he goes, oh, I'm just trying something out. I don't know, what do you think? And that's yeah. him almost literally just sort of shrugging off the weight of Lawrence Fishburne's performance yeah. and saying, that, that I'm was making this my own. Yeah. That was the moment for me. I was like, all right, he's got this. Yeah. I like this. This is, yeah. <laughs> just, like you say, just addressing it and yeah. kind of being like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. Fair and enough. he looks great. I mean, <laughs> some of his costumes are, are so good. So yeah. eye popping. Be- best dress for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh but yeah, man. Well, what a solid. What a fun, what a fun cast. Jessica Henwick mm. deserves the world. She's another one that has been a lot of TV and I don't know if you ever saw Iron Fist. No, I never saw all of it. It had Don't um, bother, it's bad. No. <laughs> um, I saw flickers, but it didn't really appeal massively. She's awesome. She's really good in it. And she's another one yeah. that's had a lot of supporting roles in yeah. movies and everything she turns up in, she's really great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the same in this. I was like, good, good. <laughs> you, you deserve more roles. You know, she was um, offered an audition for Shang-Chi around the same time as oh, being offered okay. this. So she had a choice. She had to choose to either commit to Shang-Chi or this. And Ooh. I think she made the right choice. I think, she, I mean, mm. I, I thought Shang-Chi is one of the better Marvel films post-Endgame. Yeah, what, what- what character in Shang? In I don't Shang-Chi? know actually. Um, I I can't remember. Mm. I think I think it might have been the sister. I was going to say there's quite a few good female roles in that. So yeah, she would have had a good choice. It, I, I could see her playing the sister. Wouldn't have been Aquafina. I don't think. I think I think it would have been the yeah. sister. I could see her playing um, playing that role. But, but no but, one really mm. breaks out of of those films, whereas she really feels like mm. she broke out of this. So I think I mean true. Definitely. Um, yeah. What were you going to yeah. say? Sorry. No, I was going to say it kind of leads me on to I think the one criticism or the one thing that i was like mm, about this film and say, yeah you you funny enough you clarified it for me earlier um it's to do with the action yeah for sure. and i think what you said earlier actually explains a lot mm. it's the filming style of this i think 
I get why they did it. And I feel like in a, in a lot of the ways in terms of the drama and the stuff that they were playing out, I mean, there's a, a montage in this with a soundtrack, which is the first time we've ever had that in a Matrix that film. That is... I love that. Such a great sequence. The um, yeah. Jefferson Starship. Yeah. Is it Jefferson Starship or an airplane? Which one's which? Starship, isn't it? White I Rabbit, anyway. <laughs> yeah. White Rabbit. Great. And, it, and you're like, yeah, that's fantastic. I just wish they'd switch to something a bit tighter with the action. Mm, mm-hmm. Purely because it felt like with someone like Jessica Henwick, for example, who has got a background in martial arts and, and yeah. filming stunts, and she's. Again, Iron Fist is bad, but if you just look up her stuff <laughs> on YouTube from that series, yeah. it's incredible. Like her fight scenes are phenomenal. She's yeah. really good at it. And then same with obviously Keanu Reeves has been doing action movies ever since. Yeah. You know, and, and is uh, incredible with martial arts. And it just felt like some of those performances got let down a little bit in there's it, not a lot of action in this film, to be fair. But when it does come up, I was like, ah, I wish that was shot a bit better. Because I feel like yeah. we're missing some of the cuts and some of the stuff it feels a little yeah I, w- I was wondering if it was a filming style choice I, yeah. and that's what let it down i feel like I, I had read before coming on that there was no second unit so all everything okay. lana shot herself and uh if you that's probably my one thing if you like, yeah should have done that but it's all about you know. it's all about coverage i think if you look at something like uh the, mm. Spielberg's West Side Story compared to something like right. Dear Evan Hansen. You look at the way that the, mm. the choreography is covered, you want to try and get it in, you want to give the choreography the space to breathe. You don't want to keep yes. cutting it to pieces. I, I haven't, mm. I've seen bits of Dear Evan Hansen and they're cut mm. to shreds and you, you have no sense of geography and you have no, who'd have thought I would be talking about Dear Evan Hansen on I mean, look, Matrix we've brought podcast. up like We've brought up like Top Gun and we've brought up <laughs> Jurassic Park. There's lots of tangents here. It's fine. But then you watch West Side Story and it's so fluid and so clean and you really get a yes. sense of the, the purity yeah. of the movements. And it's uh, mm. oh, another wonderful I, film. And uh, It is. But I wish there was some of that. That's the thing. Here. Yeah. You look at the mm. original Matrix or, or John Wick, which I think this, this closely mm. resembles yeah. because of how Keanu Reeves looks. It's yeah. so, so clean and, and again, so fluid. And you mm. really feel the movement and the images can gather that mm. i'm doing a lot of physical gestures which you can't see because <laughs> it's an audio medium whereas when i think in this one it's really hard i think it's it's on the one hand the conception of these set pieces is really imaginative you've got some really fun in theory mm. set pieces but then in practice you can't really orientate yourself because the your sense of geography is is all cut up and mm. you don't get much of a sense of momentum being built through movement because yeah all the movements are being cut up and yeah. the one that the one sequence that really works for me is the final one when it's the um yeah when it when when all the uh i forget what they call them in the film like the the the, the bot the bots the bots when they activate bots, all the yeah. bots and, and they're driving through the city and it's quite nightmarish imagery it's, and it's, it's really really dark yeah yeah and yeah. uh it, it plays really well um but yeah the other mm. ones like the fight with the when the merovingian is there mm. you know and the fight it's on just, the train little... and yeah that's, yeah. The, that's the other one it was like again there's some good stuff in here but it's being missed because yeah. there's not a lot of coverage which yeah again it, sometimes these things happen and and you know i guess that's probably like the one drawback i'd say but yeah yeah it's also interesting because i feel like that was another criticism that was often that came up a lot in reviews i said is it you know people were saying oh there's not a lot of action in this and stuff mm. and i kind of get it i do th- i do agree with that yeah. i do think i know it's i know it's not the point of this story but it, it's something that 
does come with the package of the matrix you know yeah and it's like that there's no kind of highway set on here there's there's nothing there's oh, no that highway scene though Ooh. that's what i mean it's, yeah. I feel, yeah i feel like yeah it was I, I that was again that's the one thing i would say is i think they should have taken a bit more care and a bit more of time to think about the action and go like, yeah. okay we should give them at least one really solid set piece in this yeah yeah because you know, there's some really great ideas like i love the train idea yeah like you said the maravinging in the in the broken house was fun car stuff at the end with all the bots flying out the window is terrifying yeah. it's like this stuff is really conceptually brilliant mm. you just needed to maybe storyboard it a bit better and yeah. cover it a bit better that's probably the one thing i'm like no i think i think done. i'd agree but, hey, i think I'd you, agree. you just you do get the sense that's not where her priorities lie anymore like they were, they were yes. trying to make almost yeah. a definitive sort of pop well, cultural american action movie in 1999 agreed. and beyond whereas now yeah. that's not what she wants to do anymore she wants to make uh a love story and she wants mm. to use the tools she has and I, I don't think it's um i don't think it's flagrantly bad like some no. action scenes can be it's just not it, it's a victim of expectation because you think regardless right. of what you think of the, of the previous sequels the reliable thing is the action whereas yes. in here that's the one thing that doesn't quite sit right and, and you think mm. i can't rely on a matrix film for action and what's it good for yeah. So I do, I do very much, I think of all the criticisms, that's the one that I do understand mm. the most. Yeah. Um, As you say, it's, it's, not, it's not the worst, though. I mean, it's not Liam Neeson getting over a fence <laughs> bad. Let's, you know, let's be <laughs> I mean, it's not even like uh, Aidan Gillen sitting on a chair in a cafe to talk to Queen bad in Bohemian oh. Rhapsody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. I need to let that film die. I, I bring it up just to annoy myself. <laughs> it's that's yeah you know, we can go on a tangent that one's another interesting one isn't it um actually funny enough there is a topic coming up all about biopics so i have a feeling that that is going to come up as well oh um, yeah as an example of an interesting one shall we say <laughs> anyway i i'm not going to speculate i'm having that conversation next week i'm excited so, um, to listen to that yeah to yeah tell uh, me off mike who you've got for that i will i will <laughs> um but yeah I, I, it's funny you saying about the point of the story and, and what the focus is because i even felt like the end because what that all builds up to you know mm. them, them trying to escape and the matrix literally throwing everything yeah. at them yeah yeah and it all culminates with a big they're on a rooftop they're surrounded how are they going to get off and yeah neo's desperately trying to get his flying to work and it's just not happening and it ends with them jumping off a building and it felt i i was genuinely surprised at all of that because a part of me was like and then he's gonna fly or he's gonna are they gonna kill them off or mm -hmm. like I, I could see it going either way but then what happens really caught me off guard mm. and the way it's shot and done i was like oh okay this is interesting yeah 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 or you have the, the the narrative rejection and you have the the semantic rejection now you've got a visual rejection of the idea of the one because mm. he's no longer they're, they're simpatico they they yeah. need each other to have their power and in this instance yeah it's just nice to see trinity center stage and it's really nice that she gets yeah. the final kiss off with the analyst yes it's uh yeah, yeah. and that's, that's again <laughs> it's the whole idea of them being like well whatever we jump off we die at least we're together we survive mm. we're together that's the important thing it's uh mm. it's a really beautiful moment ah oh. yeah yeah and, and it is you've got the setting sun and they're sort of silhouetted against it and yeah, and then when Neo says, oh, "I'm not doing this," are you? Yeah, ah, it's lovely. <laughs> it's just yeah. lovely. 
and they're gonna go paint yeah. a rainbow in the sky. Yes, do it. You live yeah. here. Can't force you out of here. You live here. You be free. Embrace the chaos. Yeah, and I kind of I love that the movie ends on that note. It's sort of very similar to the first film mm. of just you know essentially what we think the first film is going to be, which is Neo's going to go and like rewrite the Matrix and sort it yeah. out and. And I kind of love that this, it kind of, it comes full circle mm. in this, but it's like, yes, but he needs Trinity to do it. Yeah. And the two of them together, because as you say, the whole point of the story is love. Mm. That's, and that's the key. That was what was missing before. Yeah. Now, now they can do that. Yeah. They can go off and, and rewrite things and make things better. And, you know, and it makes sense. It just makes sense to end it that way. I, yeah. I felt anyway. Yeah, it, you made a, uh, you've, you've worded it really nicely earlier on when when you said that the the love that Neo and Trinity have in in the original trilogy mm. is kind of what distinguishes this Neo from his previous ones and allows them yeah. to break free of this cycle of of destruction and, and rebuilding of Zion. And then the machines try to co opt that and make it part of their language in this one. Mm. You, you know, and and, and uh, this film is about them. Again, breaking free of that and allowing their love to exist on their own terms, and mm. yeah, it's uh, it's a really it's a, a nice note, and and it really it's all it's one thing to sort of to reject binary thinking and and to sort of try and push the viewer towards not thinking in us and them terms, which we all do. We're all so tribal now in, on Twitter. Mm. It's so easy to descend into histrionics and, and my side is my side is is de facto right your side is de facto wrong yeah mm. um yeah. Uh, it's one thing to to challenge that but it's another to to say yeah the 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 trick is just love and uh and, mm. and truth i keep i keep repeating those words but it's mm. as simple as that and um yeah it's yeah. it's a much much more simple film than i think the detractors would want to believe that it is I'd agree with that. And, yeah. uh, and I, I suppose the, my, my, my main takeaway and my main sort of plea to, to listeners who m- might be sceptical and m- might be un- unwilling to give it another chance is I just think with all, all these films beyond the first one, you just really have to meet them on the level that they're presenting themselves to you at. If you go yeah. in expecting more of what came before, then you're going to be disappointed because the Wachowskis aren't bothered about going over the same ground. They want to, they want mm-hmm. to take you on a journey, and you've got to trust that they can do that. And it's only when you, when you, when, when you're annoyed at what the film isn't that you can't really see what it is. So meet it on its own. I think this is what I said in the last one as well. Meet it on its own terms, <laughs> Kel surprise. <laughs> meet it on its own terms and and go with it. Follow its grooves and and just think about why it's doing what it's doing. Don't just mm. reject it out of hand like so many of the reviews did. I mean. I just, mm. I, I have to really take, I, I'd love to take a sledgehammer to the British national national press because the 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 national film critics are so. I I understand that you have to review things to a deadline and you don't necessarily have time to fully chew over what you've seen, but mm. like Bradshaw in the Guardian and, and Kevin Marr in the Times, come on boys, engage mm. with the text, Jesus Christ, mm. engage with the thing that you're reviewing. Don't just. Uh, knee jerk kick it yeah yeah well i think it's kind of come back to what we said earlier i I feel like this does very much sit in the camp of are you a fan of the sequels or not Mm. and if you haven't addressed that first then this isn't going to be for you because this continues that story Mm. you know and it deals with a lot of the stuff because 
And again, just thinking about it logically, you're like, well, of course it does, because the first film <laughs> is a closed loop. Mm. Yeah. Like you say, yeah. it's a Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. It ends and that's it. So you can't do a direct sequel to that because, well, two of them already exist. Yeah. You know, so that, and they're not, this is the thing. This isn't one of those, let's just do a sequel to the original and forget everything that came before it kind of movie, which there's a lot of them. Yeah. Pick this, and choose you know, sequels. Which, hey, some of them I'm fine with, others I'm like, hmm. But, you know, that, that's a whole other thing in itself. This is definitely a, no, no, the sequels exist, yeah. we're addressing them, and we're going to continue with the themes yeah. that were developed in that. Thank you very much. Yeah. And if you're not on board with that, fair enough. But at least to your point, give it a try mm. first, at least, and, and don't just dismiss it offhand just because it's not for you. Yeah, and maybe it isn't trendy, but... You know, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> there's a podcast that I love called Blank Check, and they one of the mm-hmm. first um, they they basically go through directors' filmographies and, and film by film and, and chart their progression development. And one of the earliest miniseries they did was the Wachowskis, and a thing mm. they made a point of saying is that how come the Matrix was so big and the first two sequel, well, the first sequel more than the second sequel, was so big. And every film since then, Speed Racer, Cloud Atlas, Jupiter Ascending, have all been flops. Mm. And uh, and they've kind of said the Wachowskis. The, the mistake that people made was was thinking they were cool filmmakers because they're not particularly cool. They're not bothered about chasing coolness. They're very mm. open hearted and earnest. And it just so happened that when they made the Matrix, the first Matrix, it really chimed with the zeitgeist, and it and it it hit yeah. in such a way that it was perceived as being cool. But, um, yeah. but as this as Resurrections recontextualizes, that movie was always about love, just like every yeah. other film is about love and integrity, and, yeah. and earnestness. And I think I think they've always been very true to themselves. They've always been filmmakers that have uh, presented themselves mm. in, a, in a way that's very sincere. And uh, The Matrix was a weird anomaly because that's the one film of theirs that happened to hit with the public at the mm. exact right time and place in a way that they haven't really been able to since. But Oh, I love him for that, even though Lily wasn't involved. I'd love to know what Lily mm. thinks of this one, actually. I, I know that she's made yeah. it very clear that she was not involved at all. I hope mm. that's not because of a rift. I really hope it's not. Mm. But, um, yeah, I would love to know, because she must have seen it, and uh, I'd love to know what she thinks. I, I, thought so. I hope she likes it. I hope mm. it works for her, but, you know, this is Lily's, this is Lily's mm. interpretation of their work together, and, uh, yeah. and a glorious one it is. Brilliant. Well, is there anything else you want to bring up, uh, Josh, about about this uh, particular film? I think that's I think that's kind of it, really. Um, mm. Okay. Yeah, I just I mean, we've we've basically covered the entire thing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, but that's cool. Yeah, uh, j- j- yeah, just good. I I'd, I'd always uh, champion the Wachowskis' output. They're always worth checking out. I think if you're a fan of this, mm. check out Twin Peaks: The Return. That's so also very uh, spiritually similar to this. Um, okay, and and yeah, great, great movie. It's on Now TV now. If anyone's got a Now TV subscription, it's also available on on Blu-ray. Brilliant. Uh, don't think. Oh no, also maybe DVD. I don't know if DVDs are still being printed these days. Probably are, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you awesome. so much for letting me come back and talk about it, man. Yeah. With, uh... My pleasure. It's been great. Yeah, I've loved it, man. It's been good to talk to you again. And um, I, I guess to take us home, then yeah, where can the good people find you and and your amazing podcast? <laughs> you can find I, I I do have a Twitter account, but it's mostly to uh, share my podcast and to retweet smarter, funnier people than me. It's Josh underscore Glenn on Twitter. 
Also got a podcast with my good friend Andy Gerdion called Ramblin, an Amblin podcast. And you can find that uh, wherever you find your uh, other podcasts. And we're going through the filmography of Amblin, uh, the studio by Steven Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall. We've just today, as of recording, released that episode on We're Back, A Dinosaur's Story, which is a <laughs> very bizarre piece of filmmaking. And I, I imagine by the time you hear this, <laughs> we'll be somewhere in the mid 90s, maybe around Casper which I'm very excited to talk about. Uh, and you can Ooh. find us on Twitter at Ramblin Amblin. Brilliant. I'll make sure to put links in uh, as always. People haven't already gone and checked out your podcast. They absolutely should. And Harley's been on to talk about my favorite film, Back to the Future. And uh, it was a real That's pleasure true. discussing that with you. Similarly, it was a lot geeky. of fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we'll be back on again at some point. I have no idea when. But yes. It'll be good time. Yes. We've got you on the books. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks very much, Josh. Always a pleasure, mate. See you for the fifth one. And there we have it. Thank you so much to Josh for coming back onto the podcast and joining me for this incredible bonus episode. I hope you guys listening really enjoyed this. Make sure you go and check out Ramblin' and Amblin' podcast. It is an absolutely wonderful podcast hosted by him and a previous guest of this show, Andrew Godian. It is an absolute delight to listen to. It's one that I regularly subscribe to and you should all do the same. So I've left a bunch of links in the show notes for you to go and find their podcast. Make sure you do that. And just let them know that I sent you because I'm sure they greatly appreciate any and all support that you can give to their wonderful podcast. And speaking of supporting podcasts, there are a number of ways to do that for this very podcast. The very best way is just to tell somebody. It's as simple as that. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with them. I really don't mind how you do that. There are a number of ways, of course. Good old word of mouth goes a long way. But of course, social media also helps out massively. So if you head into the show notes, you'll find links for both Twitter and Instagram where you can do that. You can follow me, you can tag me when you share the episode and I can get in on the conversation and just thank you for supporting this very podcast. It really does mean an awful lot. Another big way of helping is by leaving five-star ratings or reviews on your favorite podcatchers. Regular listeners to the show know that I absolutely love it when people do that. And if you're kind enough to leave me a lovely five-star review or rating, then of course you earn a shout out on this very podcast. So make sure you do that. Make sure you tell me that you've done that so I don't miss it. And I can give you the praise that you deserve for supporting me as I continue to get guests and topics for you to enjoy each and every week. And finally, you can head over to the official Tee Public store if you want to buy some official merch. There are frequent sales on. Again, make sure you follow me on social media to keep up to date with those. Or you can head over to the coffee support page for this podcast if you want to throw in a few pounds just to say thank you for doing the show and help me with you know, the costs of basically hosting it or upgrading equipment, all that good stuff. Again, it really goes a long way to helping this show. Links for all of that are in the show notes, so I'll leave that up to you. All that's left to say is once again, thank you for checking out this podcast and make sure you stay subscribed and followed because next week I am back with another returning guest to the podcast, exploring a rich and diverse cinematic topic. So make sure you stick around and don't miss out. See you next time. Hold up. 